The Athletic. Tony Football Show, European edition. Today, Champions League, the one-time Chelsea, have little to worry about. We preview the big games coming up and the Europa League action too. Talk Serie A, our Inter heading out of the title race. France, Messi booed in Paris and Turkey too. How Trabzonspor is set for the title and why the big three aren't and how one of them could still put Barca out anyway. It's all coming up in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Tuesday the 15th of March, probably. Listener, hello to you. Thank you for joining us on this European edition of the Totally Football Show. We've got James Horncastle along a little bit later on. We'll also be hearing from Bano Yelkovan on another surprising finale to the title race in Turkey and Galatasaray's chances of knocking out Barcelona from Europe. Woof. But first up, Julian Laurence and Alvaro Romeo are here. Hello, boys. Hello, hello everyone. All right. Now, do you have a nice weekend? Very nice. I convinced uh, Tom Brady to come out of retirement when I yes. saw him at Old Trafford. We shook <laughs> hands. You know, we had a lovely chat, a bit of a right. photo. You want to take a photo with me? I said I had to drive back to London, but I've got a couple of seconds if you want. So, you know, right. it was really cool. All right. It's nice, Jules. You needed a lift. you know. Yeah, nice to be fair, you know. Right. <laughs> Albro, how about you? Yeah, decent weekend, I have to say. Uh, I wasn't as lucky as you in that uh, respect, but I was glad to commentate on Cristiano Ronaldo scoring a hat-trick as well uh, mm. in the game against the Spurs. So, yeah. yeah, that was pretty special too. Yeah, absolutely. It would be interesting to hear how that performance by Big Chris went down in Spain ahead of Man United's clash with Atletico Madrid, which is on Tuesday, of course. Ooh, later on today. Uh, we'll get on to all the Champions League stuff soon enough. We'll also be talking a little bit about Paris Saint-Germain and all sorts of other things too. But let's begin with some moments of the weekend in association with Paddy Power. Alvaro, why don't you kick us off? Well, I have chosen Dembélé's performance against Osasuna uh, because he's a man who hasn't extended his contract, a player whose whereabouts uh, next year are still unknown, and a player whose good performances have involved, at least to date, uh, dribbling past opponents... But what we didn't know is that he could produce uh, winning performances doing things that were unregistered in his uh, skill palette, like, for example, uh, deep low passes, one-twos, uh, things that I didn't know that he could do so often. And mm. all that in an environment that is rather hostile against him because he hasn't ex extended his contract. So, you know, Dembélé has been inconsistent in his career for Barcelona. That's why my eulogies to Dembélé have been very inconsistent as well. But this time he deserves to be uh, the man leading the moment of the week, definitely. Okay, what, what, what do you mean by a deep low pass? Uh, when you find uh, a teammate uh, in the space, uh, not with a cross, but with a pass like the one he gave to Ferran Torres in mm. one of Barcelona's goals. Yeah. All right then. Uh, Jules, how about for you? Uh, I went for Pep Genesio coming back to Lyon mm. with, with Rennes and how he pour more misery on, on Peter Bosch, your, your brother James, uh, sorry, hair brother, and, and Lyon, to be fair, who were good in, in, against Porto in midweek and then yeah. were destroyed by this wonderful Rennes team. Genesio coming back obviously to his hometown of Lyon the former his former club and and uh, and won with with great manner to be fair and great style so I think he deserves our moment of the week yeah excellent yeah Lyon doing Lyon things there exactly ahead of their return leg against Porto another of the topics we'll be touching on later when we look at the return legs of those uh, Europa League last 16 ties uh, my moment of the week I'm not sure it could be Ficaro Tomori's excellent Italian uh, on Italian TV. And Napoli, loro sono una squadra forte, certo. Sì, oggi io e Pierre, tutte le difese, tutta la squadra abbiamo abbiamo fatto una grande partita. And it was Thursday. That was very good. But I also really enjoyed Raya Vallecano's goal against Sevilla at the weekend, scored by Bebe. That Bebe. I must admit, I'd lost track of him, but it's good that he's you know, found a home, etc. at Raya Vallecano. And what a goal it was, Alvaro. 
Lovely goal. Uh, it's not the first lovely goal that he's scored in this season, but yes, this was special. And, uh, you know, it was a very remarkable result, uh, result as well, because uh, not only gets a point for Rayo Vallecano, because they needed some confidence back, because they have had a terrible 2022, and Bebe has been one of the good players this year so far. But it's very meaningful for La Liga, because uh, Sevilla is not going to win it. If there was mm. any, any hint, any suspicion that they could fight until the end, if you get three draws away in a row, you're not going to catch up with Real Madrid, my friend. So I don't think Sevilla will do it this season. Mm, indeed. Don't mention Real Madrid, though. Have a Let's move on. <laughs> Champions League action. That's next. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. If one leg of your 4 plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg online exclusive. No shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. All right, Champions League action midweek. Remarkable lineup as well. Four games, uh, four ties, uh, three of which are all square going into the second leg. You've got Man United Atletico, Ajax Benfica on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, Juve against Villarreal. The one tie that looks a little bit more settled is uh, Lille against Chelsea, Lille having lost 2 0. Back at uh, Stamford Bridge a week or two ago. Alvaro, uh, the, of the three that could go either way, first off, let's have a quick word on Man United Atletico Madrid. 1-1 at the Wonder. How are Atleti coming into this? Looks like they've woken up in the last week or two. They have, and I think that the catalyzer was losing to Levante, bottom of the table, about a month ago. Since then, they got four wins and one draw, the draw being against Manchester United. Mm. I think that Joao Felix has been one of these players that has woken up as well. He has scored five goals in as many games, and he's scoring beautiful goals as well. Beautiful goals. He's playing very well, and the other day he did score against Cadiz, the goal that probably Simeone would be proud of again, because he was pressing the goalkeeper. He, the goalkeeper made a mistake, but Joao Felix had to be there to get the ball away from him and yeah he scored the opener the opening goal for Atletico de Madrid probably Simeone will be pondering right now whether to, to start players who were good at least one of them against the Manchester United like Condogbia because he's not fully fit but he's in the match day squad Jimenez is another one with an niggling injury but I think that he will be featuring in this game because Atletico needs to resort to their best defensive players if they want to win at Old Trafford Probably Carrasco will be missed because he's very important for the counter-attacks. And I wonder if Llorente will play as a right-back, uh, which will be a shame because he's probably one of the best midfielders of Atletico. But Trippier went to Newcastle, Daniel Bass is injured, Versalico is not available. So maybe we see Marcos Llorente playing as a right-back. But I think that the game is going to be fascinating because normally Cristiano Ronaldo inflicts mm. pain to Atletico de Madrid in the Champions League. And mm. Cristiano Ronaldo scored three goals against uh, Tottenham, so he's sharpening his knives. How concerned are they in Spain? Has a lot of the coverage been on, on the Ronaldo hat-trick thing? There has been, yeah. I think that uh, there is a little bit of, of a worry about uh, having to defend a player like Cristiano Ronaldo. Not only he has scored many goals against Atletico de Madrid, he has scored many against them in Europe and in very significant moments. Like, for example, right. in the Champions League final in 2014, he scored the winning penalty. In 2016, he scored the winning penalty in the shootout as well. So, yeah, I think that Cristiano Ronaldo's arrival um, on time to play the second leg against Manchester United, I think that uh, it instills a little bit of fear uh, in the Atletico de Madrid camp, of course, and especially the fan base. Right. A stat we mentioned in Monday's show, the fact that Atleti, in the knockout stages, in five of their last seven appearances, they've been knocked out Ooh. by the team Cristiano is playing for. Remarkable. George, you were at Old Trafford alongside one or two other people. What, you, what did you make of Man United? What do you think is going to happen in, in this draw on Tuesday night? I think, I think United will actually qualify. I think that goal they got, that late, the longer goal in the first leg, was a huge difference. Um, even if the away goals don't count anymore, uh, I think I think the momentum from the win on Saturday will be huge. I think I saw a slightly different Cristiano in the sense that he was far more involved in the build-up than he ever was this season so far. Almost like if he finally understood that he also needs to participate a bit more in the game than just trying to finish the chances that others create for him. He can't do it for 90 minutes and second half until the, the header... He kind of disappeared a little bit, although he had the other two chances that he already saved, but he was not as involved as in the first 45 minutes. But yeah, I, th I think they've got, uh, they've got that momentum that will just take them over the line. I still don't think they can go much further, depending on the draw, much further or win the Champions League. But I think Fred is playing well. I think Pogba is playing well. We saw that on the third goal when 
it all starts from him and then the corner and, and etc. So yeah, I fancy, I really fancy fancy United, even if I think I agree with, with Alvaro, I think he's much better from Atletico. I think Joao Felix in the form that he's in will be a problem for United def- defensive-wise. But I still think with, with the Old Trafford crowd, uh, United will go through. Yeah, very quickly. I said before, by the way, that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo scored the winning goal in the Champions League 2014 final. No, he scored mm. the last goal in that final. But what I wanted to say is that I really hope that the referee uh, plays a positive part in this game because I think that the first leg had too many interruptions and the game wasn't very toxic or violent or anything like that, but it ended up with nine yellow cards and I think that that didn't reflect the story of the game. So I really hope that this time the referee lets the game to be a little bit more fluid. Um, and one more thing, I think Bruno Fernandes at the end he's going to make it to the, to the squad, which is very important as well because a couple of weeks ago he gave the, the assist to Elanga as well, so he can do these things and hurt Atletico de Madrid from a long range too. All right, although they did pretty well without him yeah, on I sun- think better Saturday. Him. Yeah, that's Ooh. true as well. Mm, okay, it's a tough choice for the neutrals on Tuesday because you either follow that or the extremely intriguing Ajax-Benfica game. Ajax, who are massive super favourites, going into the first leg of that tie in Lisbon. It ended up 2-2. Big surprise there. Dusan Tadic opened the scoring. Then there was an own goal from Sebastian Ayer before he then put Ajax back in front before Benfica got a late equaliser. Ajax, though, so strong at home. They've won the last seven there, conceding just two goals in that time, but scoring at least three goals in every single one of those uh, seven victories. So, crikey, does anyone hold out much hope for Benfica, who are not in the greatest of form? I don't. Sorry. They will have to be very aggressive like they were in the first leg. I mean, we saw Tarbat being a bit too aggressive at the weekend uh, because he was sent off after seven minutes, uh, which is never a good thing. Even even against Vizela, it's not a good thing. Benfica could only draw. And I, I, I just think that the only chance they had to go through was a win in the first leg and they didn't get it. It's going to be difficult, of course. I think that Ajax is the favourite for this game. But Benfica have a number of very capable players in the squad too. Otamendi and Yaremchuk are going to be back for the game. I think that this is very important. Uh, the other uh, right back, Gilberto is his name. I think that he's uh, returning too. And, uh, you know, Darwin Núñez, he has a possibility to show his quality. He's the top scorer of the um, Portuguese league right now. And I believe that his progression is very impressive because two years ago he was playing in the Spanish second division for Almeria and uh, he's progressing day after day. So maybe this is his night, but yeah, I agree with you. So I think that uh, Ajax is the favorite and um, it's great to see Onana in goal again. I mean, yeah. uh, he is a great goalkeeper and I think that he, you know, finally he's back after a year out. Ajax the favorites, just like they were in the first leg. So we'll see. More Champions League and a bit of Paris Saint-Germain next. The Cheltenham Festival. Four days of racing and home to the greatest rivalry you've never heard of. That's right, Britannia. The Irish are coming and they quite fancy taking all your silverware. But don't worry, here at Paddy Power, we plan on giving back with a whopping £15 in free bets online. Get a £5 free bet on any race on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Plus, get all the latest tips from the experts at paddypowernews.com. The battle for Cheltenham glory begins on March the 15th. Paddy Power. Max one free £5 bet per customer per day. T's and C's apply. Please gamble responsibly. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Jules, we haven't spoken since the business midweek haven't we sure I don't sure think we to... have no it's no we haven't it's a long time haven't. ago now isn't it <laughs> it does feel like who wants to drag <laughs> that old story up but I did see there was a little bit of fallout though from the Champions League exit when Paris Saint-Germain beat Bordeaux 3-0 on Sunday uh, the mm. Parc des Princes supporters 
booing Neymar, booing Lionel Messi, who looked really perplexed by the experience uh, whenever they touched the ball, booing Neymar when he scored, booing Gini Wijnaldum when he got taken off. In fact, the only person I think, well, the only couple of people who weren't booed, am I right, is Hakimi and Kylian Mbappé, who was roundly yeah. cheered. despite Kevin Navas as well. Oh, OK. Yeah, because right. he was in there, obviously. He didn't play at all in Madrid. It looked uh, like uh, it looked like, well, a bit of a turning point in the relationship of the the, the club, the, the the fans, and 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 some of these players. I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a turning point. I would want to believe that the players kind of expected a, a negative reaction. I mean, how can you just walk back into your own stadium four days after such a capitulation and expect nothing from your ultras who are really passionate, maybe too much, too passionate about your club? You know, I think it would be completely naive and stupid from Messi, Neymar, and all the others to think that they just can can play again with nothing happening in the stands. I think they they know for some of them too too well those fans, and they knew that at some point they would protest. They released a statement on a fr- on Friday as well, calling out the uh, the president and the uh, the hierarchy of the club, if you want. But we also knew that the players will get it into the the back of the neck. I, where I think it's, it was a bit too much because it lasted for too long. I can understand you making a point and maybe maybe don't celebrate, don't don't support, don't sing, don't do anything. But the booing for the whole 90 minutes maybe was a bit too much. But it's not targeted as one individual or Leo Messi. If he had been James Richardson playing, you would have been booed as well. I don't Can't think he had anything that. to do with, with one guy or another. He's just, that's the team for most of it, for 80% right. of it, that lost in Madrid in the, in the humiliating way that they lost. And I just think that the ultras wanted to show their their discontent and unhappiness, and they they used loads of different matters. They left the stadium really early before the end of the first half. They wanted to throw toilet paper. They had banners, and the booing and the whistling and the the insults were another part of that. Like the graffiti that we saw this morning at the training ground and in the stadium too. It's a toxic atmosphere because of that ridiculous defeat in Madrid. Right. What what was the graffiti, Jules? There was a few, so there's someone at the club's office in Boulogne, at the Parc des Princes, and at the uh, the training ground in Saint Germain en Laye, uh, saying Leonardo, get out. Uh, then a few insults for Leonardo, for Nasser Al Khalifi, the president, mm. for the players, uh, saying that Paris will always be Paris and it would never be Qatari. Um, buy yourself some balls, that kind of stuff. Like, but mm. again. I can understand why English people are surprised because this is not part of their culture. James, you know, you know very well that in Italy this is something that happens a lot. Uh, I think the, the ultra culture, wherever you are, I, th- I think has that part in it. It's not the best part of it, of course, but this is how they, no, for they sure. make their voices heard, you know. So, yeah, it is a bit shocking. I mean, for Leo Messi... Of course, he was never going to be booed at Barcelona. He mm. arrives here and he, the, this is a bit different, let's put it that way. But there's been a lot of speculation that this exit and the timing with the World Cup in Qatar finally coming around, that perhaps that's what a lot of the Qatari investment in football has been building towards, that this might represent a high watermark, particularly given that it hasn't been a satisfactory outcome, that we might start to see the Qatari money moving away or less of an emphasis placed on PSG. Do you think it's going to, this is a, this is going to represent something of a turning point for the club? I, I don't think so. Not enough for the club. If the Qatari want to sell after, after the World Cup, I think the way they've developed this club and even if maybe it's going to be a little bit too far this season, we've talked already about the, the marketing tool and, and you know the the way the club is direction the club has, has taken in terms of stardom more than trying to actually win football matches, but the the way where the club is now is, is such a huge asset for any uh, investors or anyone who wants to buy a football club that I think he'd be a very attractive proposition. So I don't think the Qatari leaving would be the end of the world at all. If no, that's for what sure. They want to do turning point in the way they direct the club, maybe. Uh, although, again, we've been here before and nothing happened, not, or certainly nothing different. You know, we always say the players change and the managers change, but some things are always there in this club, and that's certainly the case again this time. So I'm very curious to see what the next few months um, hold for PSG and for the fans. Is Leonardo really going to stay? What happens to Pochettino? Is Kylian really going? Mm. There's more and more reports now in Spain saying that it's all done, it's all agreed to go to Real Madrid. And again, I've told you that 
after that defeat on Wednesday, last Wednesday, there's no way he can st- I cannot see him staying at all. Right. Why would he stay in a, in a club of losers like ours? So, you know, what happens to Messi? What happens to Neymar? All those questions, I think, are quite fascinating to, to wait to see what the answers are. Damn, Jules. Strong words. Alvaro. Yeah. Uh, I would like to know how will PSG operate if Leonardo leaves? Because we know, for example, that Manchester United or... Uh, in a bigger degree, uh, clubs like Barcelona, they resort to former players, right? Mm, to sort uh, these kind of uh, positions. But I don't know, what does PSG do in these cases normally? I mean, do they recruit uh, someone external, a former player? Because Leonardo looks like he's not going to stay for much longer. Yeah, I think, he's, I think his time is up and I think it's the right thing to do uh, for many reasons. Uh, and then, I mean, he's obviously a, f- a former player and that hasn't really worked out well, maybe more the first stint than the second stint. Uh, so they've used sporting directors that they, they went and get from outside the club, like Antero Enrique, like Patrick Clever. I mean, what the hell? Patrick Clever. Um, so I think I think they'll go again externally. You know, someone like Fabio Paratici is someone that they liked before and that they still like, although I don't think he will leave Spurs. I think that someone like Michael Edwards would be a great shout if, if that's something that he would want to do after Liverpool. But knowing my club, uh, despite all the very good publicity that I and other people can give uh, Michael Edwards at the club, I can guarantee you that he will be nowhere near. But I think, I think Arsene Wenger somehow is still as well the, um, the dream from, from the Emir of Qatar. And I think the, the dream idea for them would be to have Wenger as a sporting director and Zinedine Zidane as the manager uh, for, you know, for next season and the seasons to come. I don't know if Arsene would fancy that. I don't think he would restrict himself as just a sporting director per se. So I don't know what kind of influence that could have on, on someone like Zidane, for example. But we know that Zidane doesn't want to work with Leonardo anyway if, if he was mm. to become the PhD manager. So as, uh, that's why I think Leonardo will go and... And also because he, he hasn't been really good. Well, indeed. Still, exciting things potentially in the offing for Paris Saint-Germain. It is exciting. I mean, they're going to win the league and Poch will have his first title and he'll be happy and he can then walk back to London if he wants and go to Manchester on his bike and good for him. Uh, and then for the club, yeah, we see what they do in terms of, of players, squad and then on the bench as well. Mm. A bit of a clear out, would you say, Jules? Mm, I would love to, James. The problem is the players that, well, the ones that are of contract, thank God, that we've been trying to sell for years, will, will ha- they have to leave. Even if they protest and want to stay, they can't stay, they don't have a contract. The ones who still have somehow a bit of a few years on their contract are so difficult to move because they own such big wages. They love living in Paris, of course, who, you know, who, if you're Julian Draxler. Why would you leave Paris? Even if you don't play, you don't care. You love the city. Your girlfriend loves the city. You earn so much money that no one in Germany, apart from Bayern and maybe Dortmund, can afford you. Why would you even want to leave? So that's the problem. And that's the problem that it's not new. They've had that problem for many, many years. Mm. All right. Well, the 3-0 win at the weekend, as you say, maintains their incredible advantage at the top of Ligue 1, but leaves Bordeaux now five points from safety in Ligue 1 and a step closer to relegation for the first time since 1991. Now, another French side will try their luck uh, this Wednesday in the Champions League. It's French champions Lille will be hosting world champions Chelsea. Jules, not much chance of better news here, is there? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, you want to believe, of course, and there will be at home and we know that the Chelsea players now have to walk obviously from London to Lille uh, to take part of the game with no sponsors on their shirt etc etc no, more seriously it's a, it's a hell of a task really especially when you know that Renato Sanchez who is Lille's most talented and best player this season will be out injured he picked up an injury really at the wrong time against Saint-Etienne at the weekend a game that was dire and it's, it's typically the kind of game that the Lille players played not to get injured because mm. clearly they did nothing in that game whatsoever. Saint-Étienne was too happy with the knee injury as well. And yet, even in that, Renato Sanchez mani- managed to, to pick up an injury. And without him, it's even harder. And unless something very special happened from Jonathan David or Atem Benafa or set pieces, I don't know, something like that. And, and Chelsea really are 
not having a good day and the whole uncertainty over their own future and Roman Abramovich and all of that weights a lot on their minds and I don't know, uh, there's no way Lille can overcome two goals and qualify. So mm. it'd be a great atmosphere and it would be a great occasion for a young team and for Jocelyn Gourvenek, the manager. But yeah, they need a miracle. Mm-hmm. Thomas Tuchel is yet to lose a cup tie as Chelsea manager. Now also coming up in the Champions League on Wednesday, in Turin, Juventus taking on Villarreal, Alvaro, have they been doing the Yellow Submarine since playing out that 1-1 draw in the first leg with the Bianconeri? <laughs> they are doing better. They are definitely doing okay. I think that they really want to qualify for Europe next season, of course. Uh, Champions League is difficult for them. Uh, not winning this Champions League, but qualifying for Champions League is going to be difficult. But Villarreal, um, they have spent the whole season trying to catch up with the lost time. I mean, they didn't win a league game until September. Uh, by December, they had won only three league games. I think that um, little by little, they are getting to the level that Unai Emery wants uh, without Gerard Moreno. This is, for me, the biggest headline, that mm. without the guy who scored last season 30 goals for them, Villarreal is in the Champions League uh, last 16. Uh, Villarreal is... Uh, getting close to the sixth position in La Liga. And let's see how they do. I think that their stats and their performances against top sides this season have been pretty good. I mean, they lost to Manchester United, yes, but then uh, they couldn't lose in 120 minutes with Chelsea. Uh, I think that against Real Madrid, they got a very, very good result this season as well. So in the high-profile game, uh, Villarreal normally is uh, showing the best of them. I think that... uh, Another potential issue is the fact that uh, Raúl Albiol has a niggling injury in his groin. He may feature, he may not. Let's see how that happens. But this is a good time for them to step up. I think that players like Parejo or Jeremy Pino or Pau Torres, for example, very good Spanish players. They've got a lot of quality with the ball. And, you know, I think Villarreal has a decent uh, or a little bit of a chance against Juventus. But I think that Juventus is favourite because they've got more firepower and because they've got Dusan Vlaovic up front, who is... You know, um, a player mm. who can't stop scoring or at least who couldn't stop scoring until the beginning of March. Mm. Well, Villarreal did have a remarkable success in their last visit to Italy when they uh, won that 3-2 thriller against Atalanta to qualify for the knockout stages. That was back in December. Uh, now, meantime, on his way to the game, even as we speak, is our pal uh, James Horncastle and he joins us now. James. Hello. All right. Good to have you with us. Excellent. Uh, so, all right, Juve won, Villarreal won the second leg. Juve, as you know, eliminated at this stage in each of the last two seasons. But both of those exits were via the away goals rule. So how are you feeling about their <laughs> prospects this time? Actually, it's a, a very good observation, James. Mm. Um, I mean, ordinarily, they would have an away goal. Uh, that Vlajevic, what, inside 32 seconds, I think it was the fastest goal by a debutant in the Champions League. Um, but aside from that, they were they were quite disappointing, particularly after the, the first 15 minutes in Villarreal. Um, they allowed Villarreal to, to come back into the game. Uh, Rabiot did Rabiot things in, in that he, he didn't follow his man. Uh, Danny Parejo for, for the equaliser. Uh, Rabio did Rabio things at the weekend as well in, in mm. giving away a penalty uh, with a very naive handball, which, you know, as Allegri subbed him off, he said, well done, you've made Chesney look good because Chesney then saved the penalty in the 3-1 win over Sam. So it, you never know what you're going to get um, from Juventus in the last 16 of the Champions League these days. Um, you know, not since, you know, that Ronaldo hat-trick against Atletico Madrid where they'd lost at the 1-2-0 the and then Ronaldo did what he does um, have they made the quarterfinal they've kind of been better in the group stages in that they've they've more often not won groups um, and that's got them favourable draws on paper against Porto and Lyon but yeah even in those games they've they've gone out um, you know it was something that uh, I think was a reason Ronaldo wished to leave um yeah, because I think he'd lost faith that Juventus could deliver a Champions League. But as we were talking about on Galazzo at the weekend, James, 
This is the Juventus side that is unbeaten in, what, 15 games in all yeah. competitions going back to the end of November. I don't think that in actually includes the defeat that they suffered at Stamford Bridge, which was pretty heavy, <laughs> pretty mm. one-sided. Um, but I think whilst they're not playing particularly well and, and they're not convincing from a uh, stylistic uh, point of view, um, mentally this is a team that uh, has rediscovered, I think, um, strength mm. um, and while a lot of the focus has been on Vlajevic and the difference he's made since they've signed uh, they signed him from Fiorentina I think Delict has been uh, outstanding uh, for them this season and has really emerged as a, as a leader for them all right well the Vlajevic arrival has had its impact in all sorts of ways uh, a lot of people feeling that uh, Alvaro Morata has been transformed as well certainly he popped yeah. up with a brace this weekend Potentially, the impact, though, on Paola Dybala might not be so positive. The club now essentially breaking off talks with his representatives about a contract renewal. Yeah, Dybala's agent, who, um, I mean, wasn't an agent until he had to become one uh, during contract negotiations because he's a used car salesman in Argentina. Um, you know, I, I imagine... He's just spent the last few days looking at Fiat's or something like that um, because, um, yeah, he was expected to have talks with Juventus. Um, Juventus said, uh, actually, it can, it can maybe wait again. Um, so he's having to hang around. You know, that has been interpreted as not a good sign um, mm. for, for Dybala. Uh, he's not a priority, um, perhaps. Um, yeah, he is a, he's a sensitive player, um, is, is Dybala. We saw that when the news initially came through that they were up for renegotiating the contract extension that they, well, Dybala felt they'd agreed um, in the autumn and, and Dybala gave that kind of stare, didn't he, to, over to the, the executive box mm. where Pavel Nedved and Maurizio Arriva Bene, the chief executive, were sitting. But of course, Dybala hasn't been fit really since then. And this is the motivation for the pause, if you like, in, in negotiations because Dybala last season, uh, was was hardly available. He's um, hardly been available this season as well. And given his age, and given that, I think he would like to command uh, a wage that would put him among the highest earners, if not the highest earner. You can understand why Juventus are giving it some greater consideration. Mm. Meanwhile, uh, Juve still perhaps in the title picture, seven points <laughs> off the lead in Syria. The big news in the battle for the Scudetto was into dropping points Sunday night, a 1-1 draw at Torino and only uh, getting that late on a 93rd minute equaliser after an excellent game from the host Torino, uh, courtesy of Alexis Sanchez Yeah, Alexis who keeps coming up with big goals for them um, you know, he won the Super Cup in the 120th minute of extra time uh, against Juventus. Um, this goal was big because it means they they remain undefeated, um, at least. And I think it would have been a real gut punch for them to lose against Torino. They were not uh, the better side um, in that game at the uh, Stadio Grande Torino. Torino were, were excellent. Um, Deserved a penalty as well um, for that uh, Renocchia foul on Andrea Bellotti. So Torino could have been 2-0 up at half-time. Bremer and Pabega were, were played very well for them. Inter, it must be said, were without Marcelo Brozovic. Brozovic was suspended. I think he's, um, along with Barella there, they're one indispensable player, really, because... Um, Brozovic is a regista um, in the kind of sort of Pirlo uh, mould and yeah, the, they just don't make those players uh, in mass production. And uh, and when he's missing, this, this, there is something missing from Inter's passing game, their ability to control games. But they still created enough chances to win this game. I mean, even Alexis's goal in stoppage time just a few moments earlier, Dzeko had a, a guilt-edged chance um, to score. He also misplaced a pass to set up a, a, what, what would have been an equaliser as well. And uh, yeah, Inzaghi saying he's not happy that they've... Um, they're off the pace at the moment. They've only won one game in six, and that was the 5-0 win against Salernitana. Uh, and all of a sudden, even though Inter have a game in hand, 
the title is in Milan's hands. Mm. Um, their destiny very much is. And I think there's, there's still some pressure that can be piled onto Inter at the moment because they play Fiorentina next weekend. Um, and then after the international break, it's the Derby d'Italia against Juventus. So, you know, Inter's title defence is coming under a lot of stress at the moment. Right, Juve, who are not that far behind them. Now only three points back. Uh, Inter themselves four points off the top where Milan lead after their 1-0 win over Empoli in second place. It's Napoli, who were 2-1 winners at Verona, courtesy of a breeze from Victor Ozimen. Uh, we've got the Rome derby coming up this Sunday on Golazzo Live, James. Rome leading Lazio at the moment. They're sixth and seventh in the table. Rome are two points ahead of Icugini. What do you think about the derby this weekend? Who's in better form? Well, Lazio haven't played at the time of, of recording, um, but they have been in very good form um, of late. They seem to have really kind of absorbed the concepts of Sarismo. Um, you know, more often than not, they go away from home and they win 3-0. Um, I think they've done that in four of their last six games or something like that. Um, and look, when Sarri has an entire week to prepare, he is very, very good. I think, um, yeah, they are or would be a Champions League team if they basically weren't in Europe or the Coppa Italia. <laughs> and now that they're not, I think in the final third of the season, they could they could come really good. Roma are on this long unbeaten run of eight games, but they haven't been particularly convincing in that time. They needed a stoppage time penalty from Lorenzo Pellegrini to get a point at Udinese um, this weekend. And that has been a theme, really. Um, they needed a, a stoppage time penalty uh, against Spezia as well. They needed a last-minute goal from Brian Cristante to get them a point against Sassuolo too. Um, I suppose the silver lining uh, in the draw with Udinese is that Lorenzo Pellegrini and Nicola Zaniolo didn't pick up bookings which would have ruled them out uh, of the derby. Jose chose to risk them and play them um, in, in that game rather than uh, preserve them. Roma have got a game against Vitesse on Thursday, so they can't entirely um, focus on, on the derby. Uh, but just from an English point of view, it'd be magnificent to see Tammy Abraham, who's been in such great form um, since the winter, um, become a hero in, in, in this game um, because it is one of the great games and great rivalries in world football. Yeah, he's got 20 goals already. The record... Uh, for a uh, Roma debutant is 21 in a season. So, yeah, crikey. Not bad company to be in as well, James. I think it's right, like Batistuta yeah. and, and Vincenzo Montella. So, kudos to Tammy. Indeed so. Indeed so. Tammy, we hope will be very much part of Golazzo Live on Sunday at an earlier kickoff time for us. 4.45. Do hope you can join us for that. Uh, James, thank you so much for being with us. Now, have a great trip to Turin and we'll catch up with you after. Pleasure. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 
You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that'll be good news for Antonio Conte when he finally realises he's the manager at Tottenham Hotspur and they don't ever win titles. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply. What's going on in the Bundesliga? Well, Christoph should be back with us next week. But in the meantime, Bayern having demolished Salzburg 7-1 in the second leg to uh, book their Champions League quarterfinal spot. Went and did a classic Bayern and got a 1-1 draw away at Hoffenheim. Fourth place Hoffenheim. Which meant that Borussia Dortmund were able to cut the gap down to just seven points with a 1-0 win over Arminia Bielefeld. Erling Haaland back from injury. And Jorena as well. Indeed so. At the other end of the table, Hertha Berlin, who we were discussing with Christoph last week, their problems increased. They lost 2-0 at Gladbach. They dropped into the bottom two. They sacked manager Tafen Korkut Sunday morning, replacing him by the end of the day with Felix Magath. you excited? What a great idea. What could go wrong, hey? He's going to shout at everybody. He's going to make them train at 2am in the morning after a defeat away somewhere. And then, and then, of course, they're going to stay up. I think Don't it's a crazy the appointment. It's a, mm. Yeah, a bit of cheese too, obviously, if you've got a bad hamstring. Right. You know. Well, Magad, who is 68 years of age, hasn't managed in five years. His previous job was with Chinese side Shandong Luneng. Be interesting to see how that works out then for them. Moving on. Got some interesting ties coming up in the Europa League. Lost 16 second legs Thursday. Sevilla will be at West Ham defending that 1-0 lead. Leon 1-0 up against Porto, welcoming the Portuguese side and leaders to their place. Leverkusen, who are 3-2 down against Atalanta, host the Bergamaschi. Rangers 3-0 up against Red Star, travel to Belgrade. Monaco will be taking on Braga, who have a two-goal lead from the first leg there. And Eintracht Frankfurt take on Real Betis comfortably, well, they're not that comfortable, actually, just 2-1 their lead there. Potentially, though, the shock of the round might come at the Ali Sami Yen because Barca will be visiting Galatasaray after being held 0-0 by the Turkish side back at the camp. Now, what are their chances, Gala, of knocking Barcelona out? And why are they down in, what, 13th in the Super League with yet another surprise champion yet to be crowned? Trabzon Spore. Well, to find out, let's hear now from Banu Yelkovan. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Banu, thank you so much for, for joining us. I've got lots of questions, actually. First of all, uh, congratulations, Trabs on Sport. They're almost there. 15 points clear with nine to go as we record this. Exactly. This is so unusual and unbelievable from our side as well. Trabzon hasn't been champion since more than 30 years. And uh, this year, it's like they are doing everything right and the other teams everything wrong. And in you know they are only 12 points short of being uh, the next champion. And it will be a very early one in Turkish football history. Banu, a couple of seasons ago, we saw Basak Shahir taking the title. And this time around, not only a Trabzon sport set to win, but the the big three, uh, a really strong Fenerbahce and Besiktas could finish outside the top four. Galatasaray uh, have, have even been kind of flirting with, with the bottom three. Is there a kind of common reason why the big three are not the powers that they, they once were? Trabzon sport is doing everything right. They have the right technical manager, they have chosen the players uh, the right way. The uh, president, he's not talking so, so much. He's not on the main front. And uh, the results came with it. So with the big trees, they have the biggest problem is that they have to succeed all the time because they have the supporters' uh, pressure on them. Especially Fenerbahce, they didn't uh, win the title for so long. And the president was the biggest hope of Turkish football when he was elected. We thought Ali Koç would change things in the right way. And not only for Fenerbahce, for all the Turkish football. Because everything he promised 
was right, you know. He promised a change in the mentality. He proposed a change in the way the clubs were were running, you know. The, he promised a, a new post like the sportive director. We don't have that in Turkey. We are used to presidents who do it all, you know, or the uh, technical directors who do it all. And in uh, Galatasaray is mostly uh, Fatih Terim. You know, Fatih Terim, he's in charge. He's in charge for everything. So when Ali Koç was elected, he promised changes uh, for Fenerbahçe. That would mean changes for all of the three big clubs. But these changes didn't happen because Fenerbahçe didn't win the titles. And when you don't have the uh, scores that go together with the right decisions, things become very difficult in Turkey because of the supporters' pressure and the social media is huge in Turkey. You cannot imagine it. And when someone says he's not interested in social media, believe me, he is. The new president of Trabzonspor, he was elected in 2018, Ahmet Ağaoğlu, and things were exactly the same with Trabzonspor as well back then. But he did change things. First of all, the most important players, he sat them, you know, because he said the club was in um, money uh, problems. So he he just uh, sold players, you know. And then uh, when he signed Abdullah Havci, Abdullah Havci is the same uh, man behind the Başakşehir project, I will say. He was not coach when Başakşehir was uh, has become the champion but he's the one who prepared it he was behind the project and Başakşehir after Başakşehir he went to Beşiktaş Abdullah Havci but he was not successful in national team either but people start to tell he's not you know he cannot work in the big clubs because there are supporters they will put pressure on him and he cannot handle pressure and he proved them all wrong with Trabzonspor because Trabzon is the city with the most pressure on all Turkey, I will say. They, they really? lack patience. Yes, yes, they are. They are. You, you know about Istanbul teams, but believe me, Trabzon, the whole city is football mm. fan, women and children included. Yeah, I saw a fabulous film called, well, in English it was called Mustang. Do you ever see that of the, the four sisters who were locked in a house who are massive Trabzon sport fans? Exactly. Of course I know the movie. <laughs> right. You, the movie wasn't about football, but now you no. know you can understand what I mean when I say everybody's interested in football in there, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's a, a fabulous film, a, a fabulous success. I didn't realize it was the same guy who'd been behind the Basaksha here project as well. Uh, the familiar names, I guess, for, for many people would be the likes of Marek Hamsic and Andres Cornelius, who's, uh, is, is he top scorer this season so far? He no, he's not in the top of the scores, but uh, Cornelius is like the weekend king in the <laughs> trap zone. You know, it's unbelievable what he does there. But in trap zone, the score is divided between so many players. This is mm. the magic uh, Abdullah Havji did. You mentioned Hamshik. You know, in the beginning of the season, he was like the superhero who was, you know, flying Trabzonspor, you know, over on the sky. But then he got uh, injured. Mm -hmm. But uh, we didn't even realize it. Now Marek Hamšík, a great player as well, he's a Trabzonspor fan following Trabzon wherever he goes. And he's cheering. He's on the stands. He's not at home because he's injured. He's following the team like, a, you know... How do you call it? A groupie following a, mm -hmm. a, a band, you know. He, he became a Trabzonspor supporter, but he, he's such an important player. And as well, Trabzon lost two other players from the, his defense, Edgar Ie and Vitor Hugo. These are the key players from the defense. They don't play because either they are, they are injured or, uh, you know, they are, uh, how do you call it, uh, suspended. Mm -hmm. But 
nobody even realized it because the guy from the U19 team, Ahmed Can, is now playing on the center of the defense and he's playing so well. Eight weeks ago, he was in the grassroots and now he's encouraging other players from grassroots to follow his lead. Incredible things happen in Trabzon this season and all in a good way. Brilliant. What a positive story, Benno. Well, listen, we, we mentioned the, the problems that Galatasaray have been having, but last Thursday, they had one of the most remarkable results of the uh, European uh, midweek going to the Camp Nou and holding a Barcelona team who've been in amazing form to a nil-nil draw, which puts them in a really good position to knock the Catalans out when they visit the Ali Samien next Thursday. Yes, this is the Galatasaray we all know about. You know, Galatasaray, we always, there's a saying in Turkey, Galatasaray is a different team in Europe. And every time we doubt them, they prove us wrong, you know, and... uh, before this Barcelona game, you know, uh, most of the fans, uh, Galatasaray supporters, they were afraid because they thought there would be a huge score against them because the week before that in Turkish uh, Super League, support of the Super League, they were beaten by Konya and they were not existing, you know, they, they, you know, they were, I could not say any good words about anyone on that game. But then they went to Barcelona and Barcelona is, you know, they are not the same Barcelona that started the season. Now Mm. they are going so well with Xavi and they are playing so good. And uh, the least they score uh, starts from, you know, four, you know, Mm. and the scores are also there. And the supporters were afraid. But then Galatasaray put on the scene the exact same play they did since the beginning of the season in the European uh, Cup, you know. Galatasaray cannot play that game in Turkey because they have to uh, have the uh, possession, you know. Right. But in Europe, they can be a compact uh, defending team. And they do it so well. This is Galatasaray is the only team that didn't have uh, an, an away goal in the whole teams, you know, uh, in that league. Mm-hmm. And this is incredible. And this was the maybe the uh, most positive moment of the whole season for Galatasaray. And uh, before Thursday, they will have to face the, one of their biggest opponents in Turkish League, Besiktas, on Monday. And there is a very hot debate over that game going on in Turkey. Do you know about no, that? Yeah, when the hot debate about it, no. But I was going to ask whether the, which, which game they would be putting most effort into in terms of their team selection. The Thursday game against at home to Barcelona or the Besiktas game on Monday? Of course, the Barcelona game. Nobody thinks uh, about anything else than Barcelona game. Not the supporters, not the team, uh, not the president, you know, nobody. Besiktas, they, Galatasaray, because of the weather conditions and the heavy snow in Istanbul, Galatasaray mm-hmm. couldn't come back right away from Barcelona. They had to stay there one more day. And then when they came back to Turkey, they couldn't land in Istanbul, but in Izmir. So uh, Galatasaray president asked the federation to postpone the game after because for many reasons. One of them was because the team is very tired now because of these unusual traveling uh, conditions. And then uh, because both uh, matches are going to uh, be played on Neff Stadium and uh, uh, he, he's afraid, you know, on the snow conditions from the pitch, right. you know. When you play a game on Monday and then on Thursday and when there is this much snow, he said uh, the pitch was not, is not go, uh, going to be in the perfect condition. And uh, when you play Barcelona, this is important. But Besiktas didn't accept this. They said we should go and play, you know, uh, because when we were playing European Cups, the Champions League, we asked for the same thing and it was not accepted. So we want to play. But if you want, come to play in our ground. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then uh, this is, of course, uh, impossible. And the uh, Galatasaray president uh, made a very heavy content answer, you know. So uh, Besiktas uh, responded the same way. So this game which had zero importance for both teams for this season, 
now became a very, uh, very hot derby for both sides and not on the footballistic uh, side uh, because the presidents, uh, you know, uh, answers to each other. It, now it's an important game and we still don't know if it will be uh, postponed or not because the weather conditions they haven't changed. Manu Jokovan there. Fascinating stuff from the Super League. Trabzonspor supporters will, will no doubt have been bristling at the suggestion that they haven't won a title since 1984. They'll be saying, what about 2011? When we were mysteriously overtaken at the top of the table by Fernabashi, who were later stripped of their place in Europe over irregularities hmm, by UEFA, but somehow the Turkish authorities let them keep their domestic title. Well, indeed, still shrouded in controversy there and court cases and all sorts of other stuff. But I think a lot of people would agree with you, Traps on Sport supporter. Uh, hey, Alvaro, what, what do you think then? Barcelona, who'd been on that incredible Ooh, run before they, before they took on Galatasaray. Another big win at the weekend. But going to Turkey with a nil-nil draw from the first leg, yikes. I know. And I think that as much as we may think that Barcelona shouldn't be caring too much about this trophy... Uh, I would disagree with it. And I think that it would be a blow for Barcelona to get knocked out because any victory now is going to make their confidence more robust. And I think that Barcelona has to try to win every title they are involved in or every tournament they are involved in. They were very poor against Galatasaray. I think that Galatasaray were almost as good as them. Uh, with a former uh, Barcelona assistant manager like Dominic uh, Torrent uh, just finding the way uh, to shut the door to Barcelona. Mm. But I do genuinely believe that uh, Barcelona had a one-off uh, bad night. I think that uh, the Barcelona that we are seeing regularly should make us think that they are going to be able to score in Turkey. They right. scored four against Osasuna, four against Athletic Club Bilbao, four against Napoli, <laughs> four against Valencia, all that in the space of a month. So I think that, you know, this time I can see Barcelona going through. I know that the first leg was disappointing, but uh, on the basis of what I see every, every weekend, I tell you, Barcelona is in a decent moment. And against mm. Osasuna, they did a very... Very good uh, game, collectively, individually. Dembélé, as I said before, he was excellent. Uh, Ferran Torres is scoring the goals. So, yeah, I expect Barcelona to go through here, which is not a big statement, but the truth is that Galatasaray surprised us all in the first leg. Certainly did. What, what about Sevilla and their chances of hanging on to that 1-0 one, one lead or, or perhaps augmenting it when they travel to, to West Ham? I think Sevilla has been very good in um, knockout uh, tournaments lately. Uh, we all know about that. But they've got many players in the sidelines, as well as West Ham United, because I think that Antonio and Jarrod Bowen, they are going to be uh, unavailable for this game, and those are terrible absentees for them. But one of the problems of Sevilla is that they never put the knife between their teeth and they go for it, you know. I think that they are rather cautious, and I think that they will have to balance out very well how cautious they can be at West Ham United ground, because if they are too cautious, maybe they will get an upset uh, and we have seen that away in the league this season. Sevilla lately, they are incapable of winning away. And it's partially because the approach to the games is very defensive. I think that Lopetegui mm, is trying to wait too much to score the first goal away from home. Uh, he's been too cautious. And uh, this is not uh, helping Sevilla at all. So in this game, they will have to be very careful with their cautiousness. Mm, as you say, this is likely their last opportunity. Uh, for some kind of honour this season. The title looks like heading over the horizon. Real Madrid will be in action on Monday night after we record this. Uh, we at Mallorca with uh, Carlo Ancelotti's side poised to open up a 10-point lead at the top if they get a victory there. Jules, let's finish off then with a quick word on Leon Porto and indeed Rennes against Leicester because those two teams, Leon and Rennes, were facing each other this weekend. It was a 4-2 win for Rennes as well. Yeah, and they played fantastically well, which we know they do. They've scored so many goals. They're the second highest uh, goal-scoring team in Ligue 1 uh, behind PSG. They've got great movement. I have to say, Genesio is doing a really, really good job there. And it was almost, although they were away from home, they were almost, for me, favourite in, in that Lyon game because Lyon has such a, an inconsistent shambles at the time this season, capable of a really good performance away at Porto or the Porto where were quite average in that game and then just completely absent in that game against Rennes and I think 
Uh, Rennes deserves a lot of credit. I thought they played really well against Leicester and were, were really unlucky to lose that game 2-0. Uh, the second goal being, uh, you know, being the real blow right at the end on a counter-attack that you should have never conceded that. I'm not even sure Leicester were looking for scoring a second goal anyway. Uh, so it's a big task, but at the Roison Park in front of their own stadium, that home fans, I think Rennes can, can do it. Um, but they will have to score all the chances that they didn't score in the first leg, for example. But if they move the ball as well as they did in, in England and keep creating the way they did, I think they can put this Leicester team under more pressure. And then maybe, you know, maybe something will be on the card. Again, you know, no away goals. So even if they concede, they, they, they can still go again and, and it would be more doable, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think they will go for it and it will, it will be a really good game, this one. Brilliant. All right. One other tie that's definitely worth mentioning is the atalanta by Leverkusen game, which was an absolute thriller in Bergamo. 3-2 win for the Bergamaschi. And ahead of the return leg, some very bad news for by Leverkusen. Absolutely, James, because uh, any attempt to produce a remontada for Bayer Leverkusen is going to be much more difficult without Florian Verge. Uh, he torn his ACL and uh, he will probably miss the remainder of the season. Mm. It's the worst news possible for them, you might say. All right. Well, anyway, all those ties are coming up uh, over the next few days. So knock yourself out with all of those listeners. We'll be back with uh, another Totally Football show on Thursday morning. And then the Euro show returns next Tuesday with the uh, the full complement of continental commentators. Lovely stuff. Have yourself a great week in the meantime. Many, many thanks to Alvaro, to Julian. James Horncastle and Banu Yelkovan and Bruce Charlie. We'll see you in a week. Bye-bye for now. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.